Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Yes. Good to be here. Good to be here. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great. So um, before we get started, this week we're continuing our series, which is called What's Your Superpower? And Superheroes with Dyslexia. So, um, and this week we have a very special guest. We're so grateful that you came down here. He is the superintendent of Detroit Public Schools Community District and has an impressive educational background despite having dyslexia himself. So um, first, thank you for coming and trekking all the way down here. Thank you. Look forward to the conversation. Crazy traffic to get here. So we appreciate your time. so can you first, for our out-of-state listeners um, who may not already know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself and who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm Nikolai, Nikolai Viti, Dr. Nikolai Viti, professionally. Um, I've been the proud superintendent of Detroit Public Schools Community District for seven years, um, going into my seventh year, if I have that right. Uh, before that, I was superintendent in Jacksonville, um, Duval County Public Schools in Florida. Uh, Before that, was chief academic officer in Miami. Um, Worked um, for the uh, Florida Department of Education before that, and uh, was a principal in Miami, cabinet member in Miami, teacher, dean of students in New York City in the Bronx, and started teaching in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, in previously segregated um, schools and sort of my professional journey. Um, what did grew you up teach? In, I taught uh, English, uh, English language arts and social studies. Was um, it middle school, high, high school? school? High school. High school. Okay. And then um, fortunately, unfortunately, taught middle school in New York <laughs> once. Uh, it takes a very special person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always, mm-hmm. always high school. And then um, with surplus problems and in, in in large systems like that, you'll have an ups and downs on enrollment. Mm-hmm. So I was at a high school, enrollment dropped, was sent to a middle school, and I thought, I remember the first, I, I actually was moved midway in the school year mm-hmm. and took over a class. That and so hard. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't so have a teacher for a half of a year, and mm-hmm. it was a middle school. Didn't want to be there, meaning didn't want to be in a middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember walked in, kids throwing things, just no no process. I remember midday, went to the bathroom, looked in the mirror, and I said, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, and then one of the veteran teachers said, you have to check your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And I think I was 21, 22 years old. Mm-hmm. And, so, of course, you um, didn't know what that meant. Nope. And <laughs> um, just over time, eventually developed a relationship with kids. But I think more than anything, it was playing basketball. I played basketball with uh, the boys in particular lived down the street from the school and did that every weekend and really played not just, you know, real pickup um, in the Bronx and then slowly, surely created relationships and it was easier. But that's a middle school teacher mm-hmm. story you asked. So No, no, but, no. Uh, I was curious because I didn't know what you had taught. Yeah. And then but um, from Metro Detroit, uh, grew up here, uh, left to go to Wake Forest. I was an athlete, um, uh, was really athlete first, then um student but eventually shifted and mm-hmm. became more of a student not an athlete and mm-hmm. uh, eventually did well in college and uh, for me it was um, how do I open up uh, more doors for students like me mm-hmm. who didn't have a lot of opportunities and thought about law thought about medicine but eventually um, fell um, on the idea of being a teacher 
-hmm. and focusing on education because I realized that my uh, awakening, my maturation, my confidence was developed through an education and great mm -hmm. teachers. And um, I wanted to do the same for other kids. Um, so when you um, say same, students like you, yeah. explain what you mean by that. Um, students like me. So um, I don't, you know, growing up, I don't think anyone would have told you that uh, I was going to be the kid who got a, you know, presidential scholarship to go to Harvard. Mm -hmm. um, no one thought I would be superintendent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was a nice kid, mm -hmm. um, somewhat popular, uh, good athlete, mm -hmm. but no one ever thought I would do great things, mm -hmm. you know. And so for me, uh, me be becoming an educator and an educational leader uh, is opening up doors and hopefully giving kids the opportunity to see their God-given talent, because every child has that talent, every child has that ability, mm -hmm. and I believe it's the educational process that can awaken that, can mm -hmm. hone it, and make it real, and um, my life journey has been about that. It was self-realization and confidence mm -hmm. and um, pride in who I am um, based on uh, my education, and a lot of our kids um, don't necessarily get that at home. Mm -hmm. You know, their, their parents love them, but mm -hmm. a lot of our parents are just going through life issues. Mm -hmm. They weren't successful, mm -hmm. um, so they may not be getting it at home. And um, when they go to school, hopefully it's that teacher, it's the principal, it's the counselor that believes in them, mm -hmm. pushes them, but loves and supports them at the same time right. so they can be who they're destined to be, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's the school system's responsibility to do that. So mm -hmm. I have the mm -hmm. pride and joy of making um, the system better on behalf of kids, and I think I do that based on my own experience that, mm -hmm. you know, there were people that believed and advocated for me when I didn't always believe in myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here did? having this conversation because of those people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so do you think you didn't believe in yourself because of, of your trouble with reading or you were having trouble in school? I mean, because you said, you know, no one thought you would ever be yeah. this and this and this. And why do you think, is it because of that? I'm assuming that's um, what you mean by Yeah. That. I mean, it was, you know, I, I, I certainly believe myself as an athlete and uh -huh. I, and I and I uh, I recognize that athletics built confidence, mm -hmm. uh, gave me a sense of discipline and sacrifice, and I developed leadership school skills through athletics. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, certainly as a as a as a student, mm -hmm. um, being dyslexic mm -hmm. att attributed to not being confident. Yes, um, you know, in in school. I was the kid who would sort of put their head down when people had to read out loud. Mm -hmm. um, I was the kid, honestly, that was laughed at when mm. we would read out loud. Mm. I mean, I, I have painful memories of mm -hmm. skipping words, mispronouncing words. Mm -hmm. um, there were times when kids would call me stupid mm -hmm. in school because I would just make silly mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, nothing to do with intelligence. It's just processing yep. issues mm -hmm. and not being able to decode. And um, so one, it was dyslexia. Mm -hmm. um, not the ability to process things naturally like uh, the average student. Mm -hmm. um, two, I think it was honestly, and it's just truthful, growing up in an immigrant family, mm -hmm. you know, there were certain things that kids would talk about that culturally I'd have no idea what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we didn't really watch TV, the things that you would talk about at home, we didn't. So mm -hmm. I was at a disadvantage, sometimes awkward, um, talking about certain things. Um, and then um, I think the, but the challenges my family had, you know, my mom dropped out of school in high school. Mm -hmm. um, she was a teenage mom. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Um, so she was not successful in school. Mm -hmm. Um, my dad left when I was young. Mm -hmm. Um, my, my grandfather, um, didn't graduate from high school. My grandmother didn't graduate from high school. Mm -hmm. Like none of my grandparents graduated from high school Mm -hmm. on both sides of the family. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily, um, there wasn't a clear path on how to be successful in school. And when you're not successful, you avoid what you're not successful in. Mm -hmm. So for my Mm -hmm. family, it was like, well, Send them to school. Mm-hmm. You know, my my family decided to send me to a Catholic school because mm-hmm. they thought that that would solve all the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little more complicated than that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was well, we'll send them to school. We send them to a good school, and they're going to do right by them. Mm-hmm. And you know, fortunately, I think I was successful in some ways, or more successful because I did go to a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, but that in and of itself was not a silver bullet. Right. So that's that's so why who it wasn't. Recognized so. your um, who recognized your dyslexia and helped you in school like how did you overcome this was there a special teacher that you remember throughout um elementary and high school there was there there were teachers that thought something was wrong Mm -hmm. but people's understanding of dyslexia was not high right you know and and a lot of our educators still are challenged by Mm -hmm. not being exposed to identification and skills and strategies to to work through it so I would say probably in elementary school, there was conversation, should he be retained? And, mm-hmm. you know, he's behind. But my mom just didn't feel comfortable enough, I think, retaining me and didn't understand all the ins and outs of all of that. Middle school, I couldn't pass spelling tests. Mm-hmm. So I remember in middle school, my, my spelling teacher, we had a separate class called Spelling. Mm-hmm. I hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And um, my teacher ended up giving me a CP. CP, mm-hmm. um, which meant continuous progress, but below grade level. Okay. Um, and she just eventually said, you don't even have to take the test because I would, I did so horribly. Yeah. And I don't know if that was the right thing, but she yeah. just saw how strong, you yeah. know. So to answer would your question. Would you get like frustrated? Yeah. And yeah. she yeah. didn't know how to help you. And actually yeah. she was trying to help me, yeah. but yeah. she wasn't really helping me. Right. right. She didn't know how. No, yeah. but that was her way to, for me to avoid pain associated with right. doing bad on Right, prison. right, right. Like, okay, you're you're working and you still can't get it. Yes, away. yes. So, but um, to answer your question, um, in high school, you know, no one really talked about dyslexia or a learning disability. Um, it was some high school teachers that would, that allowed me to see that I was smart. Mm-hmm. There was, a, there was language arts teacher, social studies teacher, where we would talk in class, mm-hmm. debate style type conversation, mm-hmm. Socratic circles, mm-hmm. and I would do well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I remember one teacher saying, Nikolai, do you know how smart you are? And I, and I said, no one's ever said I was smart before. Wow. Um, and they're like, it's, it's a huge misconception. Yeah. I, I, still, mm. right? Uh, uh, people. Yes. Um, so it was it, for for my teacher. It's like you have a, a natural intelligence. You have a street smart mm-hmm. to you, um, and you know you can naturally integrate ideas and mm-hmm. um, arguments and read and talk about what you've read, which a lot of kids don't have. Mm-hmm. And I and like, well, that's great, but. You know, I still have a C in your class. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was a CP in spelling. Yeah. yeah. And, by, and by high school, you know, getting better grades were about a ticket to playing sports. Because yeah. college coaches would come talk to me and then they'd ask me about my GPA and it was not that high. Mm. And then my athletic director would tell me, like, you're going to have a lot of options to play college football. But if you don't get your grades up, something, you know, you're not going to, you have a limited option. So mm. I started to work harder in school, which meant studying more. And so I, raised my grades, but it wasn't really until college 
where I awakened intellectually, and I started to realize I was dyslexic. Did um, you have any special services in in high school? No, no. special services at all. Because you didn't really so nobody college. Right. So what did you do? No. As a way to you know to help your to support yourself since you weren't it wasn't really identified before that. Yeah, I, I would say in elementary and high school, I didn't. I wasn't provided any additional services. Mm -hmm. I, I don't even think I was using strategies to necessarily cope. For me, it was my goal was pass, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, pass the class. Mm -hmm. um, so it meant a studying a little harder in high school, getting some better grades. But it wasn't until college until um, I just starting to read, being exposed to different ideas and different people that I started to say to myself, it was one of my professors actually said, I think you're dyslexic. Yeah. And that was the first time that word had ever, ever ever been used. Oh, really? You'd never heard it before that? No. And then and then I took myself um, to a private psychologist in college, um, and I said, "People say I'm dyslexic." So they ran the tests, mm -hmm. and my IQ was very high. Mm -hmm. My verbal skills were off the roof, mm -hmm. um, but. Um, there was a big dis discrepancy between my ability and my performance. Mm -hmm. And they said, that's one, you're dyslexic and you're gifted. Mm -hmm. um, and again, never heard that term in my life, mm -hmm. um, you know, ap uh, applied to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was a self-awareness and discovery process after that. And then I met my, um, my wife, Rachel, who was um, just knew a little bit more about this. So her and I both started to learn more about it and, from there, I started to, you know, realize all the things I had been doing in college, like um, studying words, listening to words, and how they were pronounced. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I admit this in college, I, I bought um, Hooked on Phonics. Yeah. Um, I, I remember I saw a commercial, mm -hmm. like a, you know, for little kids. Yes. And I was like, yes. Well, I need Hooked on Phonics. So you, and so you in college, you, you, yeah, I, like, I had flashcards. Right. You to learn how to read and um, provided your own reaction. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I could read, but below grade level. Sure. Um, and I, uh, I I did hooked on phonics on myself. Had all the like the mm -hmm. flashcards and the mm -hmm. headsets to mm -hmm. to understand and learn sounds. And um, you know that was it. So uh, so just hearing somebody say, "I think you're dyslexic," that was probably a turning point for you, right? I mean, how did just even somebody identifying you with this this thing change your life. I mean, you said you met your wife and you guys talked about that yeah. and you 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 know went and got hooked on phonics and you you started that I mean it really just being I somebody saying that word to you kind of was a yeah, I did. You know, at first, honestly, when I when I first heard it, and then I started to read it, I thought, you know, most people that hear dyslexia think it's just switching letters, letters right. or, or numbers, and it it's wrong. it's much more complex. Than yes. that. it was really Rachel that tr that started to do reading on her own, and then mm -hmm. she would essentially tutor and educate me yeah. on what it was, and it was like, oh yeah, that's me. Mm -hmm. Oh, I do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then really started to better understand the difference between you know, skill level and intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I always assumed that it was a negative mm -hmm. to be dyslexic. Mm -hmm. And as I started to learn, and then, you know, there's ADD components to all of sure. this as well that sure. I started to better understand. Um, so 
you know, for me, it was always, it, I figured out strategies on my own. But I think the big awakening for me, honestly, was our children, is when our oldest son, um, you know, who was this beautiful boy, mm -hmm. grow up in a home with, you know, I have a doctorate, Rachel has a master's degree, mm -hmm. you know, reading to him all the time, mm -hmm. talking to him all the time. He's so curious and mm -hmm. just engaged with the world, mm -hmm. you know, perfect upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, he gets into school and he can't read. Mm -hmm. And and even me getting frustrated, see the word, see the word. Yeah. And just and not even connecting my brain he has my brain right um right and it was just and he was more of extreme dyslexic than i was mm. um and then just seeing how difficult it was to get him the right intervention the right mm. diagnostic mm -hmm. um and uh then rachel really accelerated her understanding mm -hmm. uh of orton gillingham mm -hmm. and um what was necessary and she had and so you have to remember i'm now at this point i'm chief academic officer of the fourth largest school district in the country. And you mm -hmm. would think, chief academic officer, just snap my fingers and I can get the intervention. And he's in the school system. Yeah. And people didn't understand what was needed. Mm -hmm. We were fighting the system mm -hmm. to try to get him the right intervention. Mm -hmm. um, had to actually homeschool him for a semester wow. because he didn't want to go to school, sure. um, crying. Um, it's because it's not usually diagnosed yeah, at schools and, too. So. And so eventually we both started to better understand it you know, middle class, upper middle class uh, means, so private tutors, mm -hmm. and slowly he starts to learn how to read, mm -hmm. um, and then we create a, a, separate, a, se a special school in Duval called GRASP, which was uh, just for dyslexic students, mm -hmm. and he attended, and my youngest son, who was also dyslexic, attended. Wow. Um, and so at this point, they're both at that school. They both moved up, being at grade level readers. And, you know, I, I learned about the school district being open here. Search firm says, you know, we need someone who is sensitive to community, but will push mm -hmm. for change. And mm -hmm. we think you're the person. So the board comes, visits grass, you know, meets me, my sons and mm -hmm. my wife. And, you know, and then I come. But anyway, mm -hmm. uh, it was a journey for myself, but even more of an, a journey with as a father mm -hmm. um, with our with our two sons. So how does all that experience, your own experience, the, the yeah. children's experience, how does that influence you as the superintendent of a very yeah. large school district? Yeah. I mean, what what experiences did you bring with you and want, and say, I want that for all of these kids? Right. Well, that for me, it started in Miami when I was chief academic officer and just trying to better understand tier two, tier three reading mm -hmm. um, intervention. But it accelerated once I be, went to Jacksonville mm -hmm. and the superintendent. And that was the creation of GRASP, mm -hmm. which was the school for dyslexic students. Mm -hmm. um, and then that meant Orton Gillingham training for teachers, Orton Gillingham-based um, instructional materials um, there. And then when I, I came to, it was just rebuilding everything from hiring teachers mm -hmm. to paying teachers mm -hmm. um, to curriculum that was on grade level. So we had some initial foundational um, work to do before we could get to more innovation. But once that was done in, in the first couple of years, then it was moving to um, the right tier three Orton-Gillingham-based mm -hmm. approach mm -hmm. um, to literacy. And we've been implementing that for now a good four or five years. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, one of the, I think, the best parts of being superintendent, I think the best part of being a leader is you have an opportunity to create change. I mean, mm -hmm. that's why I go to work every day. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the, ultimately it's about using authority 
power influence for good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, one of the best examples of that is bringing forth a Norton Gillingham based literacy intervention process to DPSDD. Yeah. So that started with just training, you know, having academic interventionists, so mm -hmm. people with college degrees to be mm -hmm. trained in Norton Gillingham Gilling uh, Orton Gillingham based intervent training them, mm -hmm. materials that are aligned to that, mm -hmm. and then using it with students across the district, you know, mm -hmm. regardless of the school that they're in. And that model is really most the only people that are getting that kind of intervention are middle class, upper middle class parents that know how to navigate through understanding for themselves how to mm -hmm. how to um, intervene properly. So, mm -hmm. just extremely proud to to in DPSTD where the our, our average family um, is below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. You know they they don't necessarily know how to navigate mm -hmm. an educational system. Nevertheless, a you know a. Um, um, the reality of being below grade level in reading. Mm -hmm. um, so it not only helps to obviously the 20% of kids that are probably dyslexic, mm -hmm. but all, you know, the other 30% of 40% of students are below grade level. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, we would benefit from it. Exactly. Just right. being proactive right. instead of right. reactive in right. that way. Uh, Katie and I both were very involved when you brought um, BrainSpring in to the school. We right. did trainings yeah. there with lots of teachers right. and mm -hmm. I mean we've gone in and done coaching and and it it's it's amazing yeah. to see I and mean it's amazing the light bulbs that go off yeah. mm -hmm. for the teachers yes. and the academic interventions when they're exposed yeah. to it they the best thing about it is it's all sort of foreign and um, mysterious when you start and then right. when they start going through the training they're like oh yeah. we've been doing this a long time ago yeah. and this makes complete sense so you know where we're at now is scale yeah just how do you continue yeah. to yep. scale um, for us, it's hiring more academic interventionists so we can mm -hmm. give everyone the intervention that they need. And then, you know, obviously moving to the teachers, which we've done at the early grade levels, but eventually getting to the middle school and even high school so that mm -hmm. it just is embedded in our everyday work. Right. So we're almost there. Um, and this is why, for me, sustainability in DPSCD is so important. There's so many leaders that I think start with a bang and they create really positive change initially but they never see a sustained mm -hmm. body of work. And this mm -hmm. is why um, I still feel blessed um, to be in the space that I am because I think there's no doubt we have tr improved the school system. Mm -hmm. No one objectively looking at the district can say we haven't improved. Right. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's about creating a legacy mm -hmm. of sustainability and improvement where the leader after me will be committed to the same things, mm -hmm. do things differently in her or his own way, mm -hmm. uh, but be committed to the reform and to the sustainability of the work. And, you know, that's where we're at. It's, it's now sustainability and, mm -hmm. and scale um, after getting to, through the difficulty of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So is GRASP still operational down in Florida? It is, yeah. Are we going to have GRASP in Detroit? Uh, great question. Um, <laughs> so bring, doing GRASP in Detroit is hard. So mm. a couple obstacles. One, the only reason why I got GRASP off the ground in Florida, there was so much, res so much resistance to mm -hmm. it because, and understandably so, the argument is if you have a dyslexic student, they should be, quote, mainstreamed mm. and in a regular school environment and provided the right kind of intervention. I believe that in theory. Mm -hmm. um, but what I saw with my own son was there was no way that you were going to be able to, in, in a holistic way, give him what he needed. Mm -hmm. And the only way I was going to be able to give him what he needed at that age was to homeschool him, not me, but Rachel, mm -hmm. or put him in a private school just focused on 
getting him to where he needed to be mm-hmm. as a dyslexic learner. Mm-hmm. And there are schools that exist like that, mm-hmm. as you both mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, $30,000 a year, and sure. who can afford that? Sure. Um, especially the average student, sure. uh, average family. So I was determined to do it within a public school system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a lot of work, a lot of politics, honestly, at the state level to get it off the ground. Um, and I had deep relationships politically in Florida to get that off the ground. Um, and then once we did it, we had parents coming from all over Florida to go in that school. Mm-hmm. I remember one parent vividly, I'll never forget, said, um, you saved my child's life. Mm-hmm. That it was that going to grass was no different than than giving him open heart surgery wow. is what the family said. And that was how amazing unique the school was. Yes. So, yes, it, it is a great example of sustainability, mm-hmm. which. And I w- we were both terrified of what would happen after we left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they made adjustments, and I don't know if it's as pure as it was, but it, it, there's, there's legacy connected to it. So, so, so why not Detroit? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, so one had to find <laughs> the right leader to do it. Yeah. And I have not been able to find the right leader. We found a leader in Jacksonville whose child was dyslexic, had been connected to a dyslexic school, if I remember right, in Colorado. So one, just like the capacity of being a manager, mm-hmm. but also the sensitivity of leading uh, that type of school. Um, the second barrier is um, the politics of Michigan. Mm. I, I don't, I, I've I had initial conversations with the Michigan Department of Education, and it was uh, like no on arrival. Mm. <laughs> no way. Um, and so... With all the work that was needed in DPSCD just to rebuild normal systems and processes, yeah. I didn't want to get distracted sure. on trying to do this when the system itself had to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now that the system is normalized mm-hmm. and we're moving, I think now, next couple of years, I could start to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's challenges in Detroit around just buildings, how buildings are used, utilization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you open up one more school when other schools are not fully utilized for just a couple of kids sure. and resources for just a couple of kids? So there's, there's complications that, but something I would like to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm always curious about this, you know, because we all know that money is always a stumbling block, right? Mm-hmm. So what gets in the way, what do you think gets in the way of progress and innovation aside from money, um, what are those stumbling blocks aside from money that are going to prevent these great things from happening? Um, so w- when you when you think about that question, are, are we talking about just what dyslexic learners lead? Not need necessarily. And, just in general. Any kind of innovation. I yeah. mean, we're talking about dyslexia and, and yeah. support for those students. But, you know, there are a lot of kids in Detroit that need a lot of things and right. they're not dyslexic, yeah. right? So. Think about those innovate. What what gets in the way? I yeah. mean, school boards, parents, politics. I mean, all those yeah. things. I'm sure. Well, one. Yes. Yeah. One, I would say. In education, um, one we we I think we know what to do. Mm-hmm. We just don't always do it. So you know, there's always a talk about innovation, innovation, and some of it. Like, even when we talk about Orton Gillingham. It's not even innovative. No. It's what we should be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. It, it, we're doing it differently in, in DPSCD, so it sounds innovative, mm-hmm. but it's actually best practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one thing I would say is we don't always do what research tells us we should do mm-hmm. um, because we get distracted, because we don't have the courage, mm-hmm. um, or we just don't know it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the other scary thing is you have leaders who don't really know what to do. Mm. Um, so for me, it's always about let's, let's do what we're supposed to do and let's do that well mm-hmm. before we even have conversation about innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that takes your question a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But then to get to why don't we always do the right thing for children, um, and I'll just take your question a different way. Yeah, go ahead. W- one issue is resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the average student in Detroit just needs more resources than the average student in Birmingham, mm-hmm. in Southfield, in Troy. Um, and the school system, unfortunately, is not funded to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still have inequity throughout the state. So the state funding formula has gotten better, especially under Governor Whitmer, but it, we're still not at equal. Mm-hmm. So let's get the equal and then let's get the equitable. Mm-hmm. So you, so that's one challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a hard conversation to have because the perception is that DPS doesn't, in the past, has not always used its money the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's politics linked to race, there's politics linked to uh, wealth distribution mm-hmm. that get involved and in, in, in complicate the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one. And what I would just say, anyone who doesn't think that we're using our money the right way, check our audits. Yes. Shadow me for a day, go to our schools. I mean, we're, we're doing those things. Um, the other challenge is there are factors outside of the school that influences learning. You know, a lot of our, our kids, um, it, when you just see them coming to school every day, it just, you know, uh, stories of apartment complexes burning yeah. and kids coming to school the very next day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, or um, the, the extent of violence that students are exposed to, and yet they still come to school. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are external factors that we can't control that influence learning. Mm-hmm. Um that I wish we could control that we can't. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids moving from the east side to the west side Mm -hmm. multiple times. There are kids that will move five times a year. Mm. A movement that that middle-class families can't even put their heads around. Right, right. um, And how that disrupts um, the learning process. and then, yeah, there are politics. Mm-hmm. You know, there, um, uh, it's, it's trying to change a system to focus at the core children and not adults. You know, you, you have to take care of the adults to take care of children, mm-hmm. but you have to make decisions in the best interest of children. Mm-hmm. And in any organization, that can be complicated um, with um, political factors mm-hmm. and adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, that can get away. Get, they can get in a way of high standards of expectations, and you have to fight through that and communicate through that, and eventually try to create a culture that it's about child children. Mm-hmm. Um, we love the adults, but we love the children more. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So when you were in Duval County, um, was that quite different from Detroit, or was it a similar kind of demographic? Or oh, I you know when I <laughs> when I came back here and I interviewed there was a piece that I had during the interview process just I felt home mm. um, my um, the the leader of, of uh, the urban superintendents program that I went through at Harvard um, would say oh I always knew you were going to be a large urban school superintendent and a good one I never knew you would do it in the south yeah is what he said and I was naive mm. um, at how different it is to lead change in the South. Mm. Um, and so, you know, even when I went, even Miami, which is 
more cosmopolitan. Mm -hmm. There's a different energy and flavor than the rest of Florida. There's like mm -hmm. Miami and then the rest of Florida. Mm -hmm. Miami was different. Um, when I left Miami to Jacksonville, I underestimated um, just the historical significance of race mm. um, when going to Jacksonville. It was very hard. Uh, it was hard on me. It was hard on Rachel. It was hard on our kids. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it was, I want to be superintendent. I want to lead a district. I want to stay in Florida because of my relationships and my, the credibility I had built. Um, and there was a demand from the community, the business community, to some extent the community, to have a reformer. Mm -hmm. I was young. I was ambitious. I wanted to be an agent of change. And I went to the place that was closest to Miami. There was other districts that wanted me, but I went there. And, you know, I, I don't regret going, um, but it was very hard. So to answer your question, the difference, um, Jacksonville was a constant fight. Mm. everything was a fight mm. um and everything was about resistance and it was it put, took a huge toll on me personally mm. um uh, professionally we did a lot of great work but it was it was very hard because of the resistance it's considerably larger than detroit it, yes well. I, yeah. I was surprised by that yeah i've, I've yeah. even forget now uh, i, I think what did we say schools? brendan 120 129,000 yeah. yeah. students. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And a big county system. So think of like Wayne County, mm -hmm. um, right. that size, um, that was that was Duval County. Mm -hmm. um, here, th 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 there hasn't been as much resistance. I think right. here people want to change. Mm -hmm. um, they expect to change. Um, and for the most part, they've embraced it. And the school board has been extremely supportive mm -hmm. they you know the conversation i had with them was you sure you want me mm -hmm. um i'm i'm coming to change the system yeah i'm not coming for a job this is going to be hard do you sure you want reform and you know most of them looked at me in the eyes and said yes mm -hmm. we are going to support you and i said okay you're going to have to because i'm going to push the system mm -hmm. um, i will be sensitive i will listen um, you know, I, I won't be arrogant with the change, but we are going to change. Mm -hmm. Um, and they've been largely supportive. The majority has been supported, uh, supportive each year. And this is why I've been able to do what I've been able to do. So the board has been much more supportive here. Um, but yeah, a lot of differences between the two that mm -hmm. the community's engagement is definitely higher in Jacksonville. Mm. Um, you had to deal with the diversity of county. Like you had um, schools that were predominantly white, schools predominantly black, mm -hmm. schools um, more middle class, lower middle class. You had such a diversity within the county that you were always trying to uh, make people feel better about the decisions you made and the resources that you had to shift. Mm -hmm. In Detroit, it's more monolithic. Although there are there's diversity within the system mm -hmm. with exam schools, applications, east side, west side. Mm -hmm. Those complications are a bit different and not as complicated as you had in Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so what are your goals for the future for, for Detroit? Well, What are you working on next? Next. Uh, <laughs> well, always working on something. But um, prior to this year, it was really getting it – was, it was turning the corner from the pandemic. Mm. Um, the would say about three years, it was just heavy managing the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and so we just had to survive the per pandemic. We did that. And last year was the first year we really got back to the reform, um, focused on student achievement and, and our numbers at the end of 
last year, the 22-23 year, are very positive. So we improved in average daily attendance. We reduced chronic absenteeism. Um, our uh, at and above grade level performance in um, literacy, math, PSAT, SAT is all higher from from 22-23 versus 21-22. Um, and some of our um, numbers are even rivaling pre-pandemic levels. So um, that just means that we're sort of back on track to being a reform district focused on student achievement. So where we go from here, in my opinion, is accelerating that. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, our goal, and had the opportunity to, to talk to our principals today, is our goal um, was establish a foundation of normalcy. Let's be a normal district in all that we do. Um, now let's show improvement and get beyond the pandemic, which we've done. So now it's trying to get back to being the most improved large urban school district in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and if I'm able to lead long enough, it's to be the best large urban school district in the country. So I feel like we are now getting back to the reform. Yep. We're showing signs of the improvement. And now it's about accelerating it. So mm -hmm. that's, that's what we're working on next. Initiatives. You know, it's really not about new initiatives. It's about refining what we know we need to do. Things like health hubs and bringing more resources to families, I think, are going to be important mm -hmm. to address the issues that get in the way of chronic absenteeism. But um, scaling tier three, you know, literacy inter um, uh, intervention. Uh, and then the other big thing is to reform high schools. We have to get to the point where our, our high school students uh, want to go to school, you know, not not just the athletes, not just the ones that are definitely going to college, but all students. And that, mm -hmm. that high school is really a springboard to college or the world of work. And mm -hmm. I just think we have to rethink the high school schedule. Mm -hmm. I, oh, yeah. I, I just think um, kids should be at Wayne County Community College taking firefighting classes mm -hmm. or taking um, paramedic classes mm -hmm. or taking nurses cl nursing classes mm -hmm. and other students can be at you know school every day taking AP which right. is fine mm -hmm. right but we have to stop forcing our students to be in school mm -hmm. for eight hours and doing something that they're not interested in yes. because the average suburban kid will probably do it mm -hmm. our kids will not Mm -hmm. Our kids would just say, "No, I'm I'm just gonna stay at home." Because not all kids were like are like you were, so motivated. Well, you know? I you know athletics also was As you know yes. my yes. relationships right. um, were a motivating factor to go to mm -hmm. school. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I I probably could get away with saying I don't want to go to school anymore, but I wanted to go to school. You wanted to, and right. a lot of our kids want to go to school because of athletics, or they're doing well in school. But yeah. that's not all of our kids. So how do we give them what they're interested in, mm -hmm. um, so that they see themselves in school? You and that's 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 motivated. That's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you have resources uh, or initiatives for parents? Um, to help them want to help their kids? I mean, we do. I think of, you know, I can't think of anything better than teaching some parents about Orton-Gillingham because mm -hmm. you know yep. what? That might teach a lot of people how to read, you know, which would in turn motivate their kids to continue on, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, are there things like that in the works? Yeah, we do. We have um, something called the Parent Academy. Mm -hmm. So um, awesome. I, I, I learned the concept uh, when I worked in Miami, and uh, I think enhanced it in Jacksonville and then enhanced it even more in Detroit. So the whole idea of the Parent Academy is actually based on my own mother's experience where um, I, you know, to this day, um, I know my mother always loved K-12 
cared and wanted me to be successful. Mm-hmm. Really didn't know how to do that. Right. Um, and so it's so I remember becoming a teacher in New York City and being in the faculty lounge and hearing, unfortunately, teachers talk negatively about parents. Mm-hmm. You know, in those days I was younger, more aggressive, so I would get in arguments with people and just, you know, we don't need to talk about all that. Oh, we can. But, but, <laughs> but, 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 but I just had an issue with the idea of judging a parent based on what a child is doing. It's just... It was just more complicated than mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether you're coming to a PTA meeting, whether you're going to a parent conference, whether you're showing up for the parent conference. I mean, there are life issues, right or wrong, that get in the way of all that. Of now, at the end of the day, a parent has to be responsible for their child, and we need to see more of that, but we also have to be sensitive and understand what's going on and then provide the resources to try to help mm-hmm. parents be assessed. So when I wrote my dissertation, it was all about how do we empower parents um, to be more involved in their children's education, despite what they went through. Mm-hmm. So the Parent Academy is all about um, classes, um, now more online, in person, about um, three fun- fundamental things. One, how to, be, how to advocate for your child educationally, so classes on literacy, on you know, how to create uh, a, a, a home environment where you're using higher order thinking questions and you know and, and also recognizing the things that parents actually do so you know we go back to my mom my mom would be great and so she did develop higher level thinking questions for me mm-hmm. as a kid we'd be watching the news and I remember she would say do you agree with what the mayor is doing mm-hmm. uh, no and then we would debate mm-hmm. uh, my grandfather was very good at that so there are ways that even parents, can develop skills without um, being successful on their own. It's just thinking, Mm -hmm. uh, talking. So um, doing kitchen math, you know, just Mm -hmm. things that you can do in the home to promote learning and thinking Mm -hmm. and voice um, and um, uh, self-realization. So Mm -hmm. one component. The other component is just how to be, um, to work through being a better parent. So classes on anger management, mm-hmm. conflict resolution, mm-hmm. um, and so how to get, you know, managing social media, mm-hmm. the use of the phone and all that. And then we offer classes on just uh, more holistically um, the issues that get in the way of focus on being a better parent and mm-hmm. advocating for a child. So uh, English language classes, mm-hmm. um, how to build credit, mm-hmm. um, you know, interview skills for a job. So. Uh, we've had now well over 10,000 parents attend the Parent Academy. Wow. Um, and so, Very yeah, so, um, awesome. yeah, so that's what we're doing. Great. But, yeah, always could have more parents go. And, you know, the reality is the parents that need to go the most are dealing with the life issues mm-hmm. that get in the way with yes. them going. So that's just yes. the reality. But I think it's always the responsibility of the district to do everything we can to meet families where they're at mm-hmm. um, and help them just navigate a very difficult um, sometimes abstract process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's always a responsibility of the district. Wow, that's that's really great to hear about that. Yeah, how did they find out about the Parent Academy? Is yeah. it like so? We yeah, we have a um, a beautiful catalog that we publish um, going into every fall and every winter. Uh, send it out on email. You know, let people know on the robocall and the robotext. Put it on our website and word of mouth. Mm-hmm. That's okay. awesome. Yeah, the, I I was have this list of facts about you. Oh. <laughs> um, and I've, I, found, I found this interesting. You told an interview one time, I struggled mightily 
when I took a standardized test, it told me I should be a farmer. Mm. Well, thank God you didn't become a farmer. I mean, yeah. you would have been a good farmer, I'm sure, but... I would have been healthier. You, <laughs> well, you're helping a lot of people now that you've taken this route. Yeah, that was a seventh or an eighth grade test. I remember getting back, and I and I said to myself, I've never seen a farm in my life. Like, well, a farm? <laughs> I'm being a farm? I don't even know. I've know. I've mostly seen concrete all my life. What <laughs> Isn't am, that funny? Yeah. I feel like when we did those tests, everybody got the same answer. Yeah. <laughs> everybody was going to be a marine biologist, and I was like, how, how are all of us being the same thing? <laughs> Yeah. That is, that is funny. Hey, do you want to do the lightning round? Yeah, we have some okay. lightning round questions oh, for fun. you. Um, Get your Detroit cap on. Okay. All uh, right. Go ahead, Katie. You're going to stop ready? me on one of these, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 you no, won't. No, no, no. no. Oh. So you're just going to choose one or the other. You first tell us first answer that comes to your head. Okay. you got a choice, one or the other. Yeah, All there's right. two choices. Yep. So uh, Verner's or Canada Dry? All Verner's. Oh, good answer. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Always when you're sick. Yeah, <laughs> and my son, he tries to get away with saying, "My stomach hurts." Yeah, and I'm like, hmm. no. "No, it doesn't." Um, how about Lay's or Better Made? Oh, Better Made, mm -hmm. without a doubt. In yeah. fact, my son, and this is uh, this is the progress we've made. I know you just want lightning. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I like I've, it. I've voted Better Made since the kids were young, uh -huh. and every time we would come home, always get the um, barbecue Better Made chips. Mm -hmm. um, my son is at the Naval Academy, uh -huh. so even his own journey of being a very, you know, he's at one of the best wow. uh, schools in the country now, mm -hmm. doing calculus and upper-level math and the rest. But long story short, um, he just wrote uh, us a letter saying he wants Better Made chips. Because <laughs> you can't get him there. Exactly. Ah, uh -huh, very good. So. I, okay, so I got to tell you this then. <laughs> uh, because I... I um, for my birthday, we lived in Vermont, uh, my husband and I, and we had just moved out there and I missed Better Made so mm -hmm. much. And so my husband for my birthday came home and he had ordered a box full of it and they gave me like every kind of thing you can imagine. And I have a picture of me on the couch with bags of Better <laughs> So I get it. You could yes. send a little care package. Yeah. They do like a variety of things. Yes. All right. And they're almost Lions fans, most of them. Oh, oh that's good. The other big oh, all right. Accomplishment. All right. Uh, American or Lafayette? I like both. I know I got to answer. I'll go Lafayette. Mm, but I, 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 I appreciate them, but like both of them. <laughs> not a I'm not trying to be politically. <laughs> this was like the hardest yeah. question so far. Yeah. Um, how about U of M or MSU? Ooh. Answer easily. wisely. Easily. Michigan State. <sighs> easily. I, I do root for Michigan. Yeah, I knew I liked um, you. <sighs> I, I do root for Michigan uh, when they're not playing Michigan State. But, uh, yeah, from from Magic to Mateen Cleaves, I can go on and on. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Spartan. All right. I'm so glad about that. Um, okay, how about if you could get season tickets to only one sports team in Detroit, what, what would it be? Oh, that's easily now. I mean, that's easy. The Lions. All right. Yeah, I mean, they're the best See a good around. future? I'm I'm very optimistic. All right. I, I, I'm always optimistic. I'm like but, wow. But now, not not only am I <laughs> optimistic, but now there's there's substance behind it. Like I can I can now argue why I think they're going to be good rather than oh, just being hopeful. I, let's keep yeah. our fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we have a last one. Last Hopefully one. Hopefully, you get this one. It's a joke, kind okay. of. Yeah. Uh, goodwill Hunting or Legally Blonde? Uh, goodwill Hunting. <laughs> And Do you get the joke with that? No. <laughs> oh, well, they, they both took place at Harvard. Oh, okay. I, I did. We didn't know if we, you'd get that. Legally one. Blind, I'm, I'm aware of it. I don't know if I've oh, seen it. Oh, it's very funny. You should yeah, watch it. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I know of it. She goes to Harvard Law. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good rule hunting, I know. I can I can relate to this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thank you so much for well, being with us. Thank you so much for, yeah. you know, taking all of that time and then coming all the way down. Yes. We appreciate well, that. Well, thank you. Hopefully one kid somewhere, even an adult, hears it and knows and so. understands dyslexia a little bit better. And as I always tell people, it has nothing to do with intelligence. It's just processing. And actually, once you overcome it, I, I, I'm not one to talk about superpowers and heroes, but mm-hmm. I do believe it's actually an advantage yes. uh, when you learn what it is yes. um, because it just uh, allows you to look at life differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think most importantly, it allows you to be empathetic. Um, and I think that's a key to being a good human being and yes. more importantly, a good leader. Yes. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Orton Gillingham podcast, a Brainspring production. For additional content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, or visit our website at brainspring.com. To submit questions or comments, please email us at podcast at brainspring.com. Your feedback is always welcome.